Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is the seventeenth of March. You know, it's been quite the week for, like, this is a special day, like a legit special day. We had 314, which was Pi Day. We had 315, which was the Ides of March. Uh, We had 316, which is Good News Day. If you missed our conversation about all of the 316 verses in the Bible, that's a fun exercise. Uh, And today we arrive at St. Patrick's Day. We will talk much and more about St. Patrick's Day at the top of the second hour, but I feel like uh, it's incumbent upon me to alert you to the fact that it is St. Patrick's Day in case you're, you know, getting dressed and you want to put on something green Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to avoid being pinched later today by someone somewhere under some circumstance. There you go. That's what I have on that for you right now. Uh, Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Philippians chapter 4. These are, I think, some of the best verses of the Bible to memorize, to actually knit into our hearts and minds so that we can draw upon them anytime, anywhere, under any circumstance. Because it's in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, where God says to us, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul here is talking to fellow Christians in the city of Philippi in the first century. So let's think about the circumstances under which those individuals are living. And it is under and in the midst of all of those circumstances that Paul says, don't worry about any of it pray about all of it. Um, God knows what you need. Remind him and then thank him for all he has done. Like, forget not all his benefits. You will experience God's peace. You will come into that experience of the peace which surpasses all understanding. It exceeds anything that you can understand. And it's God's peace that will guard your hearts and minds as you live. In Christ Jesus. Reminds me of all of the places in Scripture where people cry out, peace, peace, where there is no peace. I'm thinking about um, the prophet Jeremiah and Ezekiel. In both of those books, there are multiple occasions, you know, where it is noted that people are crying out, peace, peace, where there is no peace. So from where does peace come? I mean, do you look to the hills? Do you hope that it's coming in the form of horses and chariots? <laughs> That's not where your peace comes from. Your peace comes from the Lord and his presence. And he's 
closer to you right now than your next breath. You can experience God's peace in the midst of whatever else is going on in the world. You can experience God's peace. Yeah, I know it absolutely surpasses our ability to understand. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he has come. And if he rules in your heart and mind, then he stands there as a guard over it. Live in Christ today, that the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, might be that which guards your heart and mind. Jesus says to us in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I don't give as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That sounds an awful lot like what Paul says to his fellow Christians in Philippi. Friends, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Experience God's peace. It does exceed anything we can understand. And God's peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. You're listening to Faith Radio. So we have been talking of late about life and death. We have been um, having this conversation actually with a number of friends who are of an age that they are thinking more about, more and more and more, about the reality of heaven, the uh, consummation of this life, the life that is to come, and the transition from here to there. And I think that in the culture in which we live, where Many conversations um, around death assume that we can control it, um, that we can control when it happens and where it happens and how it happens. Um, It's incumbent upon us as believers to absolutely recognize that it happens and to live as people who are prepared to die. That's the that is the scriptural mandate. I mean, let us live as people who are prepared to die. Um, And for Christians, I mean, if you're in Christ, then you know that um, in a very deep and meaningful way, you're already dead. It is Christ who now lives within you. Um, and every breath you take is is his to use. Every word you speak is his to use. Every thought uh, you have, every uh, thing you think you possess or are a steward of or manager of, it's it's all his. And so when we talk about dying to self and living for Christ, um, it doesn't, that's not what takes the sting out of death. What takes the sting out of death is the reality of the resurrection. And so as we approach the events of Holy Week, ultimately the cross of Christ, and then um, three days later, his rising from the dead, we're going to be talking about death 
and life, real life. And so I just want to um, attune us to those realities and those conversations as we move our way through the season of Lent and as we approach Holy Week. If you haven't signed up already, please uh, go to MyFaithRadio.com. Join us in our Lenten reading through the Bible together. Um, We are also going to have a special daily version of that during Holy Week, so I want you to participate in that as well. Okay, I'm going to bring you up to date here on something happening um, in Vermont. So we talk about um, sanctuary states related now to abortion. We talk about sanctuary states or cities in relationship to immigration. There are now um, states which are going to be offering cross-border access to their aid in dying laws. So Vermont... Um, has a medical aid and dying law for the people of Vermont. Well, a woman who lives in Connecticut says that's not fair. And so she sued the state of Vermont over its medical aid and dying law. And the two have now settled the lawsuit, which will result in Vermont not enforcing the residency requirement, um, meaning that anyone who wants to access end-of-life prescriptions doesn't have to live in the state of Vermont. Um, now, in this particular case, the, the woman from Connecticut does have a terminal cancer diagnosis. Um, and she argued in her lawsuit that Vermont's residency requirement violated the U.S. Constitution's guarantee of equal treatment. Now, it did not go to court. This has not been adjudicated. But I want you to listen to a little bit of the language. Um, and um, as a Christian, consider not only how you, you would discuss this with a friend, a neighbor, a colleague, a member of your family, um, but how you feel about it yourself. All right. So facing death, this woman wants to control how her life ends. She wants to control where it ends. She wants to control the circumstances of her death. Um, this is a conversation about bodily autonomy. That, that is the language that is used in the lawsuit. Um, and she wants to assert autonomy over, um, over her life. And she says she is grateful for the opportunity to use the end-of-life resource if and when she wants to. Who holds life and death in their hands? Who holds life and death in their hands? Scripture says God is the one who holds life and death in his hands, not us. And as hard as that might be to work our way through, we've got to work our way through that. We've got to come to the place where we understand that our life is not ours to take. It was not ours to give. Um, So God has given you a life. What are you doing with it? Have you given it back to him to use as he wills? Um, And how are you interacting with the things going on in the culture today? I hope you're doing so through a biblical worldview. That's what we're seeking to uh, cultivate here on Mornings with Carmen. We're seeking to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. So we're going to continue that in just a moment. We're going to take up the issue of the sandwich. 
Um, did you know that your sandwich is in need of a reformation? Mm-hmm. Paul Perot and I are both on this um, uh, St. Patrick's Day, absolutely considering a Reuben for lunch. But that is um, not a sandwich that falls into the new criteria of, well, Americans need a sandwich reformation. Mm. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. Sandwiches are beautiful, sandwiches are mine. I like sandwiches, I eat them all the time. I eat them for my supper and I eat Hey, thank you for those of you texting in this morning. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, prayers arising. Thank you. Um, thank you for your text messages. And yes, I'll be responding to each and every one of you. If you want to text in, the number is 877-933-2484. Um, all right. This is actually not going to surprise you if you think about it for even a minute. And so maybe you're going to say to yourself, well, then don't ask me to think about it because this is one of those things I just rather rot- not know Apparently, America's favorite lunch is a heart bomb of salt, preservatives, and sugar. So that um, that white bread, and I'm not just talking about like sliced white bread. I'm talking about hoagie rolls and um, everything else that is made with refined flour. Um, apparently, it basically just like turns into sugar once it hits our mouth. And apparently, there's a lot of sodium in um, in all of the condiments, and it's certainly and there's certainly sodium in processed meats and cheeses. So like, if you think about it for a moment and you say to yourself, hey, um, I mean, is it a good idea to stack up in ever increasing volume processed meats and cheeses and um, and then ladle upon them little packets of, of, of salt conveyance? So that would be like ketchup and mustard. And um, and then and then put them all um, house them all in basically a piece of cake. <laughs> and you're like, okay, when you put it that way, yeah, sandwiches are not particularly good for us. And so um, what this particular uh, article is calling for uh, is that we would, well, reform our sandwich. And so there you go. It's not going to surprise you that they're advocating that if you're going to have a sandwich, you have it on some kind of multi-grain bread where the grain is actually still visible, um, that you use natural meats instead of um, that which is processed. Um, you know, I, that none of that surprises us, right? <clears throat> and that you load it up with vegetables, not, you know, three or four different kinds of processed cheese. Yeah, I, <laughs> so, there you go. Um, or, or, or have a lettuce wrap. That is the other thing down here on the recommendation. Um, I got to tell you, I'm probably going to have a Reuben today at some point somewhere. I mean, that would be my hope. I don't actually have a plan to do that, but um, but there you go. Um, which leads us to quickly to um, a conversation about things that are happening today that people will be doing. People will be out parading around. They will be um, they will be celebrating St. Patrick's Day and. They will be doing what? They will be watching basketball. So 80 million Americans, just for the record, I am not one of the, these particular 80 million Americans. I did not fill out a March Madness college basketball bracket. Why? 
Well, because I haven't watched a college basketball game to this point, and so it seems silly to become the kind of person that jumps in, you know, at this point in time. But 80 million Americans filled out brackets for um, for March Madness. And you can assume that those 80 million Americans, at least, will be watching some or all of the games. Well, guess when many of the games air? Guess when many of the games are taking place? Yes, that's right, during the workday. So it's called cyber loafing, um, and it's taking personal time to do things on the web or on a screen at your company's expense, at your employer's expense. And the average American, and when we say average here, we're talking about everybody. So the average American is going to spend six hours watching March Madness, many of those hours at work. Now, for those of us who will not be watching any, there is someone who will be watching all of it. So I'm not going to watch any of it. Someone else is going to be watching all of it. And that means that those individuals will do, well, potentially nearly no actual work um, when the games are on because they will be devoted almost religiously to watching college basketball. And so um, at least in one case, an individual has asked his employer for religious time off because he does not observe religious holidays for uh, any of the religions that you know are marked out on his employer's calendar, which are uh, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, uh, and he makes quite a list. He wants to be allowed time off to observe March Madness because for him, it's a religion. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Um, and uh, and according to people who are um, far more familiar with college basketball than I am. Apparently, no team looks dominant at this point, but already, already, brackets are are busted and broken. Maybe yours is if you filled one out. Um, because Princeton uh, apparently unseated Arizona in a game that was worth watching, uh, and Furman beat Virginia. And if you're saying to yourself, um, okay, I can't even name the mascots of all of those teams, then you're probably not nearly as mad about March Madness as many people in the country are. So I just thought that I would tee this up because madness um, is what it is how some people describe the fervor with which religious people um, practice our faith. Some people think that we're mad if we are engaged in, a, let's say, an intentional Lenten practice leading up to um, Holy Week. Some people will consider it mad that our Muslim neighbors um, engage in 30 days of fasting from sunup to sundown during the uh, approaching um, long season of Ramadan. Madness is revered when it comes to sports betting, team allegiance, and fandom. But when the same kind of fervor is demonstrated for Jesus... The world considers us mad in a very different way. Just a little thought for the day during um, this March Madness, which you will see celebrated everywhere. And I guess a consideration of the sandwich. Yep. uh, Next up, Dan DeWitt is going to join us. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. 
All right, so many of you just delighting in Paul's selection of music this morning. So there you go, Paul. Becky O'Fallon in particular, because I mean, of you course, know, Becky guy. O'Fallon. Why I wouldn't mean, I mean, she? <laughs> I just feel like she should make us Reuben sandwiches. Oh, that'd be good. I mean, I mean, right? She clearly oh. knows what she's doing with a corned beef. Oh, okay, That's... but the, the thing is. Okay, you mm-hmm. go to Ireland. They they don't know about the corned beef cabbage thing like we do because mm-hmm. that came out of the New York ghettos, the Irish ghettos back in the late 18, early 1900s. Yeah. Well, I'm not actually Irish nor Neither Catholic. Neither am I. I am American and I do like corned beef. So oh, yeah. They, there you go. With about- marble rye, not the caraway, marble rye and a good uh, Thousand Island dressing. Yes. I... You know, it's like the one time a year I eat sauerkraut. I love sauerkraut. Well, no, but I mean, like, on a, like because it's on a Reuben. I mean, it's like, yeah, I, it would be wrong to have it any other way. There's people that make it, like, with slaw. I'm like, I, that's not a Reuben. No, 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 I no. I don't no, know what you're doing. Be, I don't know what you're sauerkraut. doing. Or gotta turkey. Be... People that, like, try to make it oh, with Oh, that's turkey. called I'm a like, Jenny. That's a Jenny, that, not yeah. a Reuben. No. Just stop. Just stop. No. Just go. I mean, if you're going to go. No, no, no Rachel, pardon me. It's called a Rachel, not a Jenny. A Rachel. But, Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's, go, it's go wrong. all in. It's wrong. Yeah. It's wrong. <laughs> okay, a couple of things here before Dan DeWitt joins us. Um, the U.S. government has, does not have, or has lost, maybe is the language here, operational control of the U.S. southern border. That is according to sworn testimony by um, the chief of the Department of Homeland Security in a congressional hearing. Um, I, I don't think that comes as a surprise to anybody that's been actually watching and paying attention to what's happening at the U.S. southern border. But um, millions of people from this year's count is 147 countries around the world known to have crossed the border. Um, more than a million and a half gotaways, which means they don't know who those people are. They just know that they um, came across the border and um, were not uh, intersected, interdicted. So as we consider what's happening in places all over the world and we consider um, the prosperity and safety of America, it's actually like no surprise to me that people want to come here. Like we live in a great place. We live in the greatest place in in the world. So obviously people want to come. What we don't have is a plan or a process to actually receive them or help them resettle here as productive members um, of the culture. So, I mean, we need comprehensive immigration reform. Obviously, we need a secure plan for our border. We have neither, and we need both now. So people are not going to stop coming. So what are we going to do in response? That, I think, is the question, and I just want to encourage you to give that some thought as we um, enter into a season when we only expect the numbers at the southern border to rise at the end of um, Title 42 which comes to an end pretty quickly here just in the next several weeks. Um, And maybe one case in point um, is Somalia. There is an exodus happening in Somalia. And I don't think we've talked about this in all of the international conversations that we've had of late. I'm pretty sure we haven't turned our attention and our focus to Somalia. But more than 3.8 million people have fled Somalia. Um, They are presently on... Um, a journey that many of them will not survive. Um, But they are forced to make because there just isn't any food in their country. Um, Drought and war uh, are the two 
factors that have pushed this East African nation um, to the brink of absolute collapse. They're experiencing their worst drought in 40 years. Tens of millions of people do not have access to clean water. Um, Livestock is dead. Crops are decimated. And um, so where did their food come from? Well, 90% of Somalia's wheat came from Russia and Ukraine. And um, humanitarian aid, uh, you know, following the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, most of the humanitarian aid has been focused on Europe. But um, there has been an alarming increase in child malnutrition and now um, death because of starvation across East Africa. People are starving to death. And so, of course, they're on the move. You would be and so would I. And so what are we going to do as Christians in response? These are the questions that are in front of us, and we can't ignore them. Um, Even on a day when many people will uh, enjoy wonderful revelry and a good uh, corned beef sandwich, people around the world are struggling just to survive. And we as Christians, we have to hold those things in tension. We live in both realities. We live in the joy of our salvation, and we live very sober to the challenges that people are facing around the world. Next up, Dan DeWitt's going to join us. We are going to bring the mind of Christ to bear on a number of things across the culture. Um, Should we pray? Should we pray to God the Father? We're going to talk about that next here on Mornings with Carbon. Dan DeWitt is back. You can find links to everything we're talking about today at Theolatte.com. I'm drawing it all from the Worldview Reader today. Dan, welcome back. Good morning. Good good morning, Carmen. Happy happy St. Patrick's Day Eve. Or is <gasps> today it? it? Today's it, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, happy St. Patrick's Day. Now, now that says something that that um, I had to look it up and you had to ask. So there you go. <clears throat> That's okay. Paul um, and I have been I'm trying gonna, our uh, Irish accents off offline. I'm gonna, Paul's Paul practices his quite frequently. Oh so. yes, I do. Definitely. Uh-huh. See, there you go. I mean, hey, before we get going, Carmen, can I just brag on my wife for a, a real quick minute? Please, you don't. Need, it doesn't even have to be quick. Just go ahead. So you mentioned eating the bread where you could like see the the yeah, see the whatever. seeds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my wife buys is wheat berries and yeah. grinds them and makes fresh bread almost every other day. So all the bread we use in our house is uh, is like that, and it's really nutritious and it's actually quite filling and tasty. So she's she's she gets like the queen of the day award. I, she's I, pretty I should, awesome. I should make a queen <laughs> of the day award, and we should start dispensing it. I will tell I April that. that today she has been. She's been crowned the queen now, of the day now, on St. Patrick's Day. we want to know a little bit more about her um, bread baking methods. I don't. Are what these she... like, like free formed? I know, but you can I, you be able to answer this question when you tell me what it looks like when it comes out of the oven. Is it, it looks in a like pan a... or is it like free formed um, and it's on a flat cookie sheet? I think it's flat. It's, it's on something flat. Yeah. I know that so it tastes like really good with butter. Form. 
bake. Mm-hmm. She's a freeform baker. It's good. It's good. She's doing it the right way, man. She's old school. I like it. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> should we pray to God, our Heavenly Father? And Dan, why in the world would we even ask such a question? Because Jesus told us to. So that's what the uh, that's what the mind says. But you tell me what uh, what the argument says. Well, yeah, the I think the instinctive and like almost automatic response from anyone listening or anyone who has been around traditional Christianity for any period of time would be, well, of course, that's exactly how we should pray. Because we think about um, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, which Jesus taught us to pray. But in the Wall Street Journal, I'll give some paper sound effects there. Um, in the Wall Street Journal this last weekend, they had an article called, Must God Have a Gender in Our Prayer? And apparently, the Church of England has recently said that they're studying whether to allow the use of non-gendered language for God in worship. And just a quick quote from this article, there are two religious religions within the Church of England vying for supremacy, two fundamentally opposed conceptions of God, said the Reverend Lee Gaddis, director of the Church society, a group that promotes traditional teaching. Quote, one is the God of the Bible as traditionally understood by believers throughout the centuries and all over the world. The other is a flexible God who changes depending on the spirit of the age. So reading that article, I was reminded of um, years ago, I had a conversation with, and I won't say his name, a popular Christian author. And at that time, one of the, one of the most popular speakers at youth conferences, some of the largest youth conferences in the nation, he would almost always be one of their um, keynote speakers. And so I was interviewing him for a project I was working on, and he was a advocate for a post a postmodern re-imagining um, of God. And he shared with me that he and his wife taught teach their children no longer children anymore. This was several years ago, but that they teach their children to pray to the mommy, daddy God. Mm. And I, I think the wall street journal article, when it says that there are really two religions, this quote from um, a conservative leader, um, there are really two religions vying for supremacy um, within the church of England over this topic, whether it's a traditional view of God, what we would call um, orthodoxy. And so sometimes these terms get co-opted. If you say traditional, people will redefine that as meaning that it's not necessarily objectively true for all people in all places and times. Even if you use the term biblical, people will find a way to try and use the the biblical language for something other than what has historically been understood. But what we're saying here is this is actually how God has revealed himself, and this is how the church has understood God throughout its entire existence. And so a quote that I return to often is from C.S. Lewis, who said, Christians believe God himself has told us how to speak of him. And so God does not have a gender in the sense that we typically think of gender, like anatomy or something like that, physiology. The Old Testament is quite clear. God is a spirit. So any references to God's feet, God's ears, God's hands, those are what's called to use a, you know, a I am a professor, so I have to drop a $25 word from time to time, Anthropom- anthropomorphic. 
And so that's the kind of language that's describing God in terms we can understand. So we shouldn't read Genesis where it says God's walking in the garden to think God has legs and feet. It's the kind of language that helps us understand God had an intimate relationship with Adam and Eve. When Isaiah says that God's hand is not short and his ear is not deaf, we shouldn't actually think that means God has an ear and God has a hand. So God's not gendered in the way we typically think of gendered. Um, And then also we see that God creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, in his image. And so God creates man and women uh, male and female in his own image. So men and women both reflect God. So we might be left with this puzzling question. Well, should we actually pray with a gendered kind of in a gendered kind of way? But that would lead me to a, a final point, which would be this is what you said earlier, Carmen. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Mm-hmm. And so while God doesn't have a physical body and a gender in that sense, he is indeed our father. And he's our perfect father, and that's something we should take comfort in, not something we should try to edit. Yeah, I'm perfectly comfortable um, praying to God as father because Jesus prayed to God as father and instructs me to do so. Um, I also, you know, went to a graduate school where um, you were required uh, in what you wrote If you were going to use a male pronoun or male reference, you, at that point in time, had to use an equal number of female references. And so I learned to refer to God without any reference to um, that which was specifically male or female, um, because I was absolutely unwilling to use the female terminology that would have been required on balance in, um, in my writing. Um, and so sometimes I'll, I'll hear myself today, Dan, um, you know, I mean, I'm referring to God and I'm re- referring to God as God, but I have been somewhere deep down in, you know, <laughs> deep down in the brain, right? It's as if hmm. it's been shamed out of me to refer to God as he or him or father. Um, and so I will tell you that, you know, like there's a there's a recovery that has to take place if you've spent a lot of time in, particularly in secular academic institutions. Well, and and yeah, and that's, I think, the great challenge for all of us that in the article, you know, the two conceptions of God, one would be an orthodox understanding of who God is as as he has revealed himself in Scripture, but then the other would be a, a fluid God that is responding to the spirit of the age. And we the challenge for all of us is the spirit of, a, of the age in whatever environment we're in and however it comes to us and affects us, it does affect us, right? So we we That's need right. to co- constantly be returning to to scripture and make sure that that we are responding the way that God has revealed himself and told us how to talk about him. But these are good things. They're for our comfort um, that God is a perfect heavenly father. And if you kind of you know, shirk away from that because of, you know, the male language and it feels patriarchal to you. I love what Sam Albury often says, you know, um, the, the, what we see in, in the Bible is that humanity is referred to in the masculine. Um, but ladies take comfort throughout all of eternity. The church is referred to as the bride. So you kind of have your turn too. the Bible isn't trying to make sure everybody gets, um, kind of a, uh, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a participation trophy. Make sure everybody's mm-hmm. happy with everything. Um, the Bible is straightforward about who God is. 
And it's for our good. If God was constantly changing to the spirit of the age, that would mean his love is too. And the great reality is his steadfast love endures forever and it never changes. All right. We want to talk with you about another conversation that you have had recently um, about research by Pew. Um, The article that I'm looking at, Dan, is in Christianity Today. Evangelicals are the most beloved U.S. faith group among evangelicals. Can we talk about that next? Absolutely. All right. We're talking with Dan DeWitt. You can find him and all the links to what we're talking about with him at theolatte.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling from Glen to All right, how do people think about you, and how do people think about Jesus because of the way they think about you? So we're talking I here can't about... recover from that song. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you don't have to recover from that song yet. <laughs> so we're talking with Dan DeWitt. Um, we're going to lift up now some research and then reflections upon that research. Again, you can find the article that we're talking about uh, linked at theolatte.com. Um, Dan, tell us what, what's, the, what's the underlying research here that we're discussing? Um, and then as an evangelical Christian, what specifically do I need to, to think about and consider? Well, the Pew Research Center released a recent study that or the findings of their recent study um, showing that 27% of Americans express an unfavorable view of evangelicals. And so, but among that percentage, the thing that you have to keep in mind is that um, a large amount, about a quarter of the population are themselves evangelical. And so that number, if you were to remove the evangelicals from the equation would be significantly higher. And that's why Kate Shelnut, the journalist at Christianity Today, the title of the article is Evangelicals are the most beloved U.S. faith group among evangelicals and among the worst rated by everybody else. And so you could click on the link and go to Christianity Today to see how it breaks down by different religions. In terms of Christian denominations, Pentecostals are the the least favored by the population. Um, but what we're seeing is a sustained disdain for evangelicals. And so on the one hand, um, we could just throw up our hands and say, well, um, Jesus told us we were going to be hated, so here we go. Um, on the other hand, we have to kind of—that's th- helpful. I mean, there is a helpful perspective. If the world hated Jesus, it will hate us too. Um, but we have to balance that out because the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 4 that we're to make the most use of our time with outsiders and to season our words with salt. Paul would even say to Timothy that um, a good reputation with outsiders is a requirement for being an elder, for being a pastor, um, to let your gentleness 
be known to all. And so while we can't be completely undone by statistics like this um, and say, well, let's quit talking about, for example, what we just discussed, a gendered view of God that offends people, um, we can't water down what we believe. But on the other hand, we shouldn't be people who take pride in the fact that people don't like us. Um, does your neighbor, for example, or your banker or your barber or your mechanic or the principal at your kid's school, do they have a good impression of you because you're nice, because you're kind? And so my my real concern here, Carmen, is that I think that there are a number of um, platforms by Christian leaders and YouTube and social media that have emerged and have large followings, and they're riding the wave of this kind of angst and this um, kind of fear and anger. And so what we end up having is a kind of Christian ministry that looks a whole lot like a very partisan um, political news outlet to where everything's a culture war and we're angry at everyone and we don't care what anybody thinks. We just want to speak the truth. Now, that's not the only thing that feeds into the statistic, but I do think that that's important for us to consider. How are we winsomely presenting the gospel of Jesus so that, and I'm going to quote a pastor and some people um, would criticize him for going too far, but Tim Keller, um, how Tim Keller describes that we should talk about the gospel in such a way that our secular friends overhear that conversation and think to themselves, I wish that were true. And better yet, to say one more thing, to live in such a way that, man, our neighbor would hate to hear that we're moving because we've made such a, a difference in their life. And I hope these this these statistics can drive us to be more winsome and more engaged, to season our words with salt so that we know how to answer the people around us who may not like us simply because we're a Christian. Yeah. I mean, winsome is about winning some, and the mm -hmm. good news is genuinely good. And I think that one of the one of the maybe personal considerations, Dan, that we could each engage in today would be, okay, if I'm genuinely hated because of the name of Jesus, if if I'm persecuted because of the name of Jesus, that that is something that the Bible says is going to happen. However, if Jesus is hated because of me, then hmm. the whole thing has been turned on its head. Like if people are rejecting Jesus because of the way I'm engaging with them, because of the way I'm living my life, then I, that's me stinking. That's not the Jesus stink that they're rejecting. That's that's the Carmen stink. And so, um, you know, we're supposed to be a beautiful demonstration, a, a beautiful, substantial demonstration of the gospel um, in all of its beauty and goodness and truth. And so it's one thing to tell the truth. It's another thing to tell the truth in a way that um, provokes a person to want to hear it to listen as a salve, as a, as a grace, as genuinely good news, um, with a gentleness of spirit, with a kindness of heart, with, a, with an absolute desire that this person would also come to know uh, Christ. So I, I think that this is not just about um, being people who walk our faith out into the world that God so loves, but doing so in a way that honors Jesus. Like it's the, it's the way we do it not just the fact that we do it. That is so true. And I think that, you know, I, I sometimes want to say, 
and I'm sure I'm guilty of not being winsome and seeking to have a good rapport. Like, so I don't want to just point my finger at, at kind of other groups, but sometimes I want to say to people when they take as a badge of honor, you know, I'm to defend the truth. I don't care what anybody thinks. Um, that that's a very privileged position um, from a North American context. I, I get to regularly be on a video conference call with scholars from around the world with an organization I do some consulting with. And when you're in that context where where people, because they are a Christian living in a majority Muslim country, mm. um, have friends who have been killed, you know, I kind of want to take people in America who pride themselves on this badge of honor and say, you you actually don't. Um, the kind of persecution for loving Jesus is not for the most part what we're encountering in America. And what this study is really saying, I think, is Americans don't like evangelicals. A lot of times it's not because of Jesus, but it's because of jerks who don't represent Jesus well. And we can all be guilty of that um, in different ways. So I think it's a good, anytime I, I feel self-righteous and wanting to judge others, I think the spirit kind of reminds me, hey, you're not as good at this as you might think. Um, how can I humbly live out, as you just said, the gospel in a winsome way for the people who I actually know their faces, I know their names, I live in close proximity to them. Let's let that this research drive us to that kind of introspection, prayer, and then hopefully to go out on mission to to serve the world because we've been forgiven of so much. There's a, a smile on our face and there's a certain joy in our exchange with others because we can't wait to share with them something we don't deserve. Um, we don't deserve it any, we don't deserve grace any more than they do. And we don't need it any less um, and to to minister out of that posture. It's so good. Dan, thank you. As always, you guys can get so much more. There's just so much more at theolatte.com. Uh, Dan aggregates it in something called the Worldview Reader. So if you're looking for something specific, let me encourage you to click on that because from there you can click on everything else. Dan, um, thank you so much. Thanks, Carmen. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, here's the 45-second farm report because it's Friday. Um, I have a freeze warning where I am, which I know for some of you, you're like, she's so ridiculous um, because there's still four feet of snow where you are. Uh, but I have a freeze warning where I am, and here's why that's a problem. So it's a freeze warning over the next several days. Uh, today, 28, Saturday, 21, Sunday, 20, Monday, 26. Here's the problem. Uh, all of our peaches, plums, and many of our apples have already bloomed, which means... We're going to lose them all. So uh, prayers are rising for that. I know I, it's, it's, it's wrong to ask God to create a microclimate under over our, you know, <laughs> uh, over our orchard. But, you know, I'm not above asking for that. And um, Jim dug a big hole with a bulldozer. So we're going to have a, a pond of some sort. We got another hour up. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.